the Farm Advisory Service podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government. Hello Ian, how's it going? Yeah, hi. How are you, Alexander? Yeah, I'm very well, thanks. Um, thanks for uh, for taking the opportunity to, to sit down with us and, and, and have a chat about these uh, these grasses this morning. We, we really appreciate that. Ian, I think I'll, I'll start. I always ask people who come on the podcast with me. Uh, obviously, we're, we're still dealing with the, the COVID-19 pandemic. What's your perception of how the, the agricultural community has, has dealt with this challenge and, and how are things at Killacrees uh, with regards to, to COVID? Well, I think it's quite good to be in farming. At least we're not in the centre of London being locked up in a in a flat with a bunch of children round about us. So we've got plenty of space. Uh, life has continued here pretty well as normal. Uh, we've probably done more maintenance to machinery than we've ever done, which is all good. The only downside is getting round the various people. So we've used social media, you know, on the on the for the farm for some of our more important meetings, and. Uh, also, trading has been okay. You know, we're selling, you know, we're selling, uh, we're we're selling cattle uh, at a, quite a reasonable rate, uh, usually through social media. But it's a bit difficult for people coming on site. Uh, otherwise, I don't think we can really complain. I think we're having a fairly easy time with it compared to some others. Good, good. And Ian, um, for our listeners, can, can you just describe? Um, what uh, what goes on at Killacrees? What what's involved in, in the the running of the business? What does your average day look like on the farm? Yeah, well, we have a few holdings. I mean, Killacrees is uh, through in the west, and it's Killacrees is run t- together with Drumcross Farm. So Killacrees is on the hill. We have about uh, three hundred uh, and thirty acres and a couple of hundred rented at Killacrees of hill ground, and that's mainly Highlanders and Cross Highlanders. Drumcross is uh, 180 down near the Erskine Bridge in Bishopton, and it's pure shorthorn, uh, and it's run by by uh, by Alan down there. Uh, I have, and then the other farm we have, or the other farms we have, we have a farm through in the Carsegowrie, uh, Balgay, which is just over a thousand acres, about 750s in arable, and about 250 of that in grass. Uh, Balgi is sheer farmed with uh, Ian Wilkinson, who has his own cattle and sheep on the ground, and we work together. And uh, that's mainly Shorthorn, Angus, and some commercial cattle. We also have a croft in Wester Ross, which extends to a thousand acres, eight hundred of which is uh, in a plantation, uh, and the rest of it we take Highlanders up there in the summertime not for profit, but mainly for biodiversity reasons and also for the t- tourist interest. So I'm helped by uh, D.V. Patterson here, who at, at the Killicree's end, uh, and, and and Ian Wilkinson and, and Alan, Alan Gordon. Yeah, so it, it sounds like you've got a kind of a multitude of different sort of habitats and, and land types here. And um, we were speaking a bit earlier on about how you're now implementing multi-species mixes. Uh, yeah. growing sort of multi-species swords uh, on farm. How long have you been doing that? And so what, what was the appeal? 
Well, multi-species uh, on a big learning curve of multi-species grassland. I mean, the, we've always worked with red clover and ryegrass for our uh, for our silage, which uh, gives us high output. Perhaps two, mostly three uh, crops of silage, no no fertilizer, and a good grazing uh, a good grazing situation for for lambs uh, at the end of the season. Uh, when we went to Balgay, we took over a farm that had been mainly arable and was concerned about soil structure through there. So we introduced uh, originally the uh, red clover and, and ryegrass mixes, which we left in for about three to four years. Uh, and that seemed to have a huge improvement to soil structure. Also, we could see we could see birds following the tractors for the first time. So we started getting a bit smarter and starting to move not just with uh, with red clover and ryegrass, we started to move towards multi-species, which we do now for a few years. The multi-species grasslands, uh, again, cut down our fertilizer input. Uh, we have some benefit, we hope, from the biomedical, the biomedical properties of the plantain and uh, the chicory. Uh, we, we hope through there that the deep rooting will help and in a dry summer, it's, it seems to survive very well. Again, there's a sort of major decrease, if not a complete absence, of having to add nitrogen to to the swords. And Ian, um, when when we're talking about multi-species grassland, um, what uh, what important factors did you consider when when you wanted to to, to go into it? Uh, particularly, you know, you mentioned that there's with the difference between holdings like Drum Cross and and Killacrees and, and, and Balgay, obviously there's going to be different growing conditions there. What factors did you take into consideration when you were looking at what you were going to put into your multi-species mixes? Well, I mean, I guess partly uh, we were looking at you know, why we were wanting to put the, the multi-species in. Uh, we've been using we've been using chicory for for years. Uh, Really, just as something that's going to help be deep rooted and, and burst the pan in the ground. Uh, Balgay is we're looking at uh, soil, you know, soil structure improvement at Balgay, but also, uh, you know, I believe there's a big carbon capture element where if we can improve the if we can improve the organic matter by even one percent, then that represents ten tons of carbon per acre that we can sequestrate, which is got to be good news. Uh, I think we're having a hard time uh, in terms of the public, in terms of what cattle do. But with multi-species grassland and cattle, we're seeing we're seeing a massive improvement in soil structure over a remarkably short period of time. Yeah, I think when you when you also combine this sort of the building of organic matter and capture of carbon, along with you know potentials to reduce your chemical inputs. Um, there's, there's certainly opportunity there to reduce our reduce carbon emissions. Um, what would what would a typical uh, sort of multi-species seed mixture be now, Ian? Well, we're, what have you looked at, and what sort of mixtures have you used in the past? Well, well we're learning. I mean, we're, we're at the early stages of learning what to use. I mean, we we had this fairly standard multi-species thing to begin with, which had plantain, chicory, uh, various clovers, vetch. That type of thing, and then last year we we introduced sandfoin, 
and I, I was creep, I was keen to try Sandfine. I'm I'm not sure the success of of Sandfine. I'm I'm not sure how well it will grow here, but we'll certainly try again. Uh, the other thing with the grassland is that the the way of establishing it. We're, we're we're learning the hard way about how to best establish if we want to minimise tillage. Uh, when when we leave when we we left a patch of sandfoin just to see how it grew through right through the summer and it was incredible. I mean, it was it, sandfoin and red clover was, were in the mix and it was absolutely full of bees and all sorts of insects. It was it looked it looked great, but we're still we're still in a learning curve of just how to best do these things. Absolutely. Are you are you still ploughing or is this all min till and um? Kind of without being able to use sort of chemical weed control options due to the herb species, how how do you get around uh, the weed control? Well, that that's a very good question. We we initially were ploughing. Uh, one one of the reasons to reduce ploughing is is the tenderness of the grass for when cattle go on it. So we are moving very rapidly towards a zero till. In fact, yesterday. We had, had a meeting with Ian Wilkinson uh, and my, my daughter and Mary Anderson where we discussed buying a new zero-till piece of equipment, a new drill. Uh, and I think from this year on, we were going to move as much as we possibly can towards, towards a zero-till situation. What we've done at... We use Charles Murray as a seed merchant and what Charles has done, he's bought a, a, a zero-till uh, seeder for grassland, and we've uh, this season we've overseeded, uh, and it didn't look terrific to begin with. But actually, now the winter's coming, we're starting to see over the you know the rougher ground at Killicrees, we're starting to see the new grasses coming through. So it, it's looking encouraging. But again, we're in a learning curve. We, we've ploughed and we've uh, then moved from there to rotivating, and we're rotivating. We have the problem. Again, with less tenderness, but still a bit tender. And uh, when you're trying to seed in the dry weather, we get a lot of, you know, if, if we're off the ground, we get a lot of dock and weeds. So that's a bit of a problem. But it does it does look as if in the second year, the weed control, the natural weed control is actually quite good. Cattle and sheep going on it. And then uh, I think these grasses, these multi-species grasses are quite, they're quite ag- aggressive growers, and I think they tend to cut the weed, cut the weed back. I guess if we, if we, um, if we rotivate, the biggest problem we'd have would be Dawkins. And uh, Ian, did you uh, did you encounter any issues when you first sowed out these uh, seed mixes? Um, what, uh, what what was it like to 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 get on the ground and uh, to to get it established? I think I think they established fairly quickly, but my, my view is, and again, you know, we're learning. I, I think in the second year they look much better. In the first year, there's a bit of you know, if we if we cultivated at all, there's a bit of open ground left uh, between between the plants. Uh, come the winter time, that starts to fill in, uh, the, and the fields that were sown a year ago uh, here are, are are starting to look really good, and. We're seeing, I mean, this is just observation, but while we had some of the young cattle in paddock grazing on the lower ground at Killicrees, we were seeing very good uh, weaning weights on the calves. And we think that's 
to do that's a lot to do with the multi-species grassland. Also, at the end of the season, having lamb on, lambs on it, they seem to do incredibly well. So we're pleased with the performance, uh, the cattle performance on 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 the grassland. We're also, you know, moving towards, if you like, in some areas where Ian's doing it really well, paddock grazing, and here we're we're doing it, we're doing it reasonably well. But we're certainly we're certainly think that these these grasses have to be rested up, um, even much more so than just uh, conventional grassland. Yeah, absolutely. I mean. Next question was really going to touch on that on that topic um, about how do you think you need to adapt your grazing strategies for these multi-species swaths? You know, do they need to be rotationally grazed over set stocking um, and giving a rest? Because suppose different different grasses and different herbs will have different sort of growth habits. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, I think that paddock grazing is good for any kind of grassland. Uh, Ian's introduced it at Balgi and is doing it really well there. It's because he's got big flat fields and he can break them up into very even, you know, even groups, and 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 that's I mean that's that's working extremely well here. We're you know we've got big hill paddocks and we've split them into permanent. You know, one big paddock would be split into permanent three paddocks, and we're on the we're, we're on these paddocks for about a week, which is more than I would really like. Uh, but I think resting up is is really important. We're seeing much better grass utilization from resting up these grasses. So yeah, I mean I think you're absolutely right. I mean paddock grazing on these grasses is, is very beneficial. Interestingly enough, what we're seeing is this year is after we've come off these these paddocks, we're we're seeing the plantain coming away, even at this time of the year, it's still growing, which is which is encouraging. So it's mm-hmm. giving us it's giving us grass through the season. So there's not really a flush of grass like you'd get with ryegrass. You're getting some early growing grasses. Grass is growing in the middle of the season and grass is growing growing very late. Although probably at the beginning of the season, because we're not knowing nit- we're not using nitrogen, probably the clovers are a bit more a bit slower to, to, to come away than if we were using nitrogen on ryegrass. So probably you get a slightly slower start to the season. Uh, but we have mm-hmm. Grass right through the season, and we've got it. Very, we've, we've got grass growing very late on into the season. Yeah, that's brilliant. How how do you manage the, these swards? Kind of come late later into the autumn. Um, are you are you still grazing now or on the multi species? Well, it, it depends which farm. I mean, as, as far as Drumcross and Balgi are concerned, obviously we're off the ground there because that is, you know, that that that's arable quality ground. Uh, as far as the hills here are concerned, you know we have the issue here. The Highlanders don't come in at all; they're out, so they have to stay out on on on, on that grassland. Now, the higher ground is not yet multi-species. Uh, well, a little small part of it is, but most of it's not multi-species. But we did stitch it uh, with with some seeds that some cheaper seeds that we got uh, this year, and it, it looks like it's coming away quite well, but. The rested up grass, you know, you can start to see the plant, particularly the plantain coming through uh, late in the season where we've come off it. And what what was in that mixture that you um, you stitched in? It's really interesting. Well, the, the we we we, we stitch in much the same mi- mixture in the fields we stitched for multi species. Uh, so it would have uh, the sanfoin, the vetch, the plantain, the red and white clovers. Uh, 
and, and, and different ryegrasses. So the same sort of mixture. Yeah, brilliant. And, they, and they've all had a good establishment through that method? Yes, I would say so. I think the only thing was that we had to be on the grass here. We were, we've got cattle outside. I would have preferred to leave it a bit longer to establish itself. But yes, it, it seems to establish fairly well. I think the, establish, the establishment's the, the thing that we've still to learn exactly the best way to establish. But I, I definitely think from a production point of view, by stitching in, we can get on it sooner. If we if we cultivate, then it's it's probably June before we can get anywhere near it, even if it's a back-end cultivation. So the the view the view here at the moment is we we we, we don't use tillage anymore uh, as far as establishing the grassland is concerned. I was going to ask you, Ian, about your uh, your paddock grazing systems with the cattle, um, but I think you kind of covered that quite well um, just just um, a couple of minutes ago. Daniel, do you do you want to go right in with your next question? Yeah, well, I suppose on the on that paddock grazing. So you said so the the cattle are in grazing each paddock for about a week. Um, how long how long a rest period are you then giving that paddock before it's grazed again? Well, it it. it, it... It's different from farm to farm. At Balgay, Ian is putting sheep through first and then the cattle to follow the sheep. Uh, he'll only be on a matter of days and then resting up for uh, a, 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 at least a month, I would think. Um, uh, here, it's a wee bit more difficult because our, our paddocks are... Uh, on the lower farms, yeah, the paddock grazing can be done fairly well where we can move the cattle regularly. So maybe four or five days and then they get moved. And we'd like to work with bigger batches and uh, and uh, shorter periods, and then rest up as long as we can. On the hill, it's a wee bit more difficult. We do we do have bigger paddocks, but we're on probably for you you know just over just a bit over a week, uh, and then we we just rest for as long as we can rest. But it's it's kind of controlled by the amount of cattle we've got and what grass is available. So we're not being particularly scientific yeah, no, about it. Yep, but bit bigger mobs, the more the more grazing pressure you can achieve. Um, I think there probably is merit as well, kind of that that standard sort of three week rest for kind of standard ryegrass clover. There's probably merit there of extending that a bit more for some of the herb, some of the herbal um, grasses in the swards. Um, so the next question. Um, there's been some quite interesting Irish studies. I don't know if either of you have kind of come across them. Uh, looking at multi-species swards, um, there was a smart grass project which found multi-species swards. So that was six species in the mix uh, of ryegrass, timothy, white and red clover, plantain and chicory, uh, receiving 90 kilograms of N a hectare, produced higher yields, higher forage yields, uh, better sheep performance than the monocrop ryegrass mix as they grew um, that received 163 kilograms of N a hectare um, and also superior to that of the ryegrass and clover mix, which was receiving 90. Um, lamb weaning weights were 2.4 kilograms heavier uh, on the multi-species of the six multi-species than on the monocrop rye um, and ewes were in better body condition as well. Um, when they compared that to just the ryegrass and clover mix, uh, lambs were still over, just short of a kilo heavier. Um, there was another study looking at multi-species that found that there was higher yields uh, of the multi-species receiving 150 kilograms of N than monocrop ryegrass receiving 250 kilograms of N. 
um, per hectare. Um, that's really quite striking. Uh, what's your take on this, Ian? Well, I, I, I would think that from an observation point of view, that I'd go along with that. We, cert we certainly, uh, even at the early days, we certainly saw better live weight gains on lambs finishing on red clover, not the white clover, the red clover mix. That's, mm -hmm. that, that seemed to have a good effect on the lambs. We're seeing good live weight gains on the cattle in terms of, well, not the cattle themselves, but the, cattle, the, the cow's calves. So we're seeing pretty good weaning weights where we've been on that, better weaning weights than the bits, the, the, the paddocks that ha haven't got a multi-species mixture. So, yeah, I would, I would go along with that. So I, th I think there's, it, it's definitely ben benefiting not only the soil structure, but it's, it's benefiting the livestock that's on the multi-species grasses. And I think that's really important that, that we get that kind of message across to, to the not only the wider agricultural community, but also the, the, the general public, uh, particularly as we know that, that Scottish and, and, and UK policy is, is going to be looking at uh, improving efficiency within agriculture. Ian, you, you mentioned the, the live weight gain in your, uh, in your cattle just there. What what measures are you taking to to uh, monitor performance uh, from the livestock on this multi-species grassland? And how do you think it compares to the conventional mixes that you're you're using on the farm still? The the, the main thing that uh, I mean, my m most experience here at this end is is with the Highlanders, uh, and it, it's it's quite interesting to see. I mean, the best bull calf that was weaned. Uh, this year was weaned at 1.47 kilograms at weaning what, uh, 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 gain per day. Now, I mean, that's that's quite remarkable for a Highlander. Uh, our targets before were for bulls that we kept would be maybe one kilogram and for heifers would be 0.75. And we're seeing way, way better than that. We're seeing the heifers up about one kilogram a day and the bulls, you know, well over one kilogram a day. Now, that's with no creep. So we don't we we don't creep these calves because we're measuring the cow's performance to produce a good calf. So it's the cows we're measuring, uh, and we'll take out the, the cows that are got the, the lighter calves. We'll take them out, and we'll probably put them into the crossing group or take them out altogether. So, I mean, it's early days, but my observation is that we are getting significantly better live weight gains where we're on these good grasses. Now, bear in mind, you've got to take it into consideration that these are new swords, so you would kind of expect them to be better. But my view is that they are that they're they're much better than I would have expected to be in terms of in terms of the gain. I think the other thing uh, that we didn't mention is water absorption, because the the rain we get uh, through in the west and now getting in the east, then you know, water absorption. On these grasslands is, is is pretty important, so that we don't get you know too much runoff and too much puddling, and I think it's definitely helping in that space where no, definitely. you've got much deeper rooted uh, plants in, in in the grass, allowing allowing you to get much better water potential. Uh, but also you get the op the opposite thing when it's dry. You're getting you're getting the soil holding the water for longer periods of time, and these these grasses definitely grow. Uh, in 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 drought situations, much better than straightforward ryegrasses. Ian, you mentioned that 
these are quite new mixes on the farm um, and, and obviously we would expect them to be quite productive, um, particularly in the, the first couple of years um, of, of use. What is your plan or, or, or do you have a strategy for maintaining that productivity? Um, and at what point would you consider reseeding these, uh, these fields, if at all? Well, yeah, that's a good question. I think if at all. I mean, what, what we did this year, which was quite interesting, in the field we have at Drum Cross, where we had red clover and ryegrass, uh, I would have expected to be started with that for, to get one or two years out of it. But we didn't. We got a much longer period. And this year we thought, well, what will we do with it? So we decided to stitch Italian into it. Uh, now, this is mainly for our silage. And, I mean, and that worked really well. Uh, and it, it'd be interesting. I haven't seen the results yet of the protein level, but the expectation is that we would get really good silage off that. So my view now is to maintain these grasslands, that from time to time we just restitch them. Uh, and that's, that's certainly the current thinking. That's, that's, that's what we think we'd like to, to do to go ahead. That's brilliant. Um, or maybe we'll almost cover this already, but um, anyway, I'll ask it. Um, is there a balance to be struck between these new mixes and conventional mixes, Ian? Um, I'm just thinking, would, would you put the whole farm down to multi-species, or do you think there's sort of seasonal plant growth timing, um, or also sort of grazing considerations, e.g., you know, can you graze some of these mixtures in the winter um, when you may, you know, alternatively want to continue to graze cattle outdoors? Another good question. I think we've I think we've got a lot to learn in terms of you know the different environments we've got and what's going to perform what's going to perform well for example on the higher ground you know the more, the more peaty ground now we are we're pretty good at putting down we're pretty good at putting down lime but we go from one extreme to another we've got the high ground through here that's peaty and light with a low cation exchange and we've got bulgy which is an alluvial a very fine alluvial sand that behaves like uh, clay with high cat cation exchange. So uh, while we're using similar grasses, I think we have to learn more about which grasses will which will perform in, in these different conditions. And we, we don't really know the answer to that yet. You know, I think we need to take advice. We need to try different things and, and see what works best for us. Uh, um, Ian, it was um, it was Agri Scott very recently. Um, and the one thing that I thought very striking uh, about the content of the presentations that were happening this year was the prevalence of, of climate change as the big issue within the agricultural industry kind of broadly. I know you touched on the potential benefits for, uh, for, for multi-species grassland um, in terms of water retention, we, we've talked about benefits to, to soil structure, um, a little bit about biodiversity benefit. Um, can can you discuss um, a little bit um, how you see multi-species grassland aiding in kind of climate resilience, um, not just for yourself, but but what the potential is there for farmers across Scotland? Well, I th I think there's a huge potential, but I I, th I think part of the the, the problem with the current uh, general discussion is the amount of flack that the, 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 the beef cattle industry and generally the livestock industry has, has taken. Uh, I mean, we know, we know that industrial farming is bad news, 
uh, huge big paddocks of cattle producing lots of CO2. But I find it very hard to accept that the way that we're running cattle in this country, especially where we're grass, we've got grass-fed cattle, is anything but good news for climate change. I don't think we're I don't think we're getting the credit for the amount of carbon that we can. I don't think we get the credit for the amount of carbon we, we can sequestrate. And when you look at some of the work that's been done by Alan Savry, albeit in a, a, a brittle climate, uh, and 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 Gabe Brown, then you're starting to see that cattle are actually an important factor in the improvement of soil. So we, we're seeing that particularly at, at Balgi, where you've got a what was a, mainly an arable farm, and you reintroduce cattle, multi-species grass, and when you go back, when you go back to crop, you've just got so much better soil. Now, if if it's true that we've only got fifty harvests left in the world, then I think this whole argument about climate change has to move round to where can we put that carbon to get it out of the atmosphere? And I think the regenerative movement is really important. Where we're saying it's not just about being, you know, it's just not about being. Uh, carbon neutral. We we have to start taking out that legacy carbon that's that's in the that's in the atmosphere, and I think the only way we can do that is by improving the amount of carbon we can sequestrate in the soil. And I think the factors that that can help us go there is obviously reducing tillage is going to help, and multi species grassland in a rotation through arable farms uh, will help to protect our soils. It will stop runoff. Uh, and it will sequestrate carbon that when we do a carbon audit, we're not really getting the credit for. Now, it's it's massive. If if 1% of organic matter increase in a field is 10 tonnes of carbon per acre, then across the world, it's it's huge. You know, it's, it's absolutely colossal. And the only place, there's a lot of places in the world where we certainly can't grow trees. So grasses, to me, would seem to be the solution to the problem. Uh, we can maybe get carbon neutral by having electric cars and not using plastic straws and all these things, but probably one of the biggest things that we can do is to look at our agricultural practices and start getting the carbon back into the ground. One of the things that you touched on there, Ian, um, when you mentioned Balgay was... Um, Obviously, it's part of a, a larger arable rotation. Um, presumably, there's a lot of um, pollinator benefits to, to multi-species grassland. Um, the Farm Advisory Service um, this year recently had a, a kind of series on uh, beneficial insects um, to, to have on your farm um, as it pertains to, to grassland and, and also arable crops. Can you talk a little bit about the biodiversity benefit of, um, of multi-species grassland? Yeah, I mean, the, the, what you say is absolutely right. When we were seeing, we're seeing an increase in beneficial uh, insects on the farm, and birds, uh, and uh, the other the other factor is go back to is is cattle. I mean, what what we're what we're seeing with cattle on, on the ground is you end up with. I mean, a hill cow produces one hundred twenty five kilograms of invertebrate life, and the and and we see it in the Wester Ross Croft. We see it in the hills here. I mean, the the amount, the amount of bird life that's on that ground now compared to what it was before the cattle were grazing is incredible. So the biodiversity is increased by having more uh, live matter, whether it's in the soil or 
available for 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 birds from the invertebrate that's coming from the combination of multi-species grassland and and cattle grazing. So uh, yeah. I do remember. Um obviously before uh, before lockdown now, Ian, but last time I was out at Killercrees with you, the one thing that I thought was really striking was the number of lapwing that were present um, on, uh, on on some of the fields. Um, I, I don't know whether uh, whether you want to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, well, I mean, lap, there, there was hardly a lapwing here when we started, but I mean, I think that's a bit to do with multi-species, but it's probably more to do with cattle. So there was maybe a couple of lapwings to begin with, and the crows were giving them a hard time. But I mean, now, well, when you were here, you must have seen 60 or 70 lapwing. And yesterday I was up the hill in a filthy day, and they're still there. I mean, it's, I, I thought they'd be away by this time of year, but no, they're, st- they're still around. Uh, field fair, uh, all, all sorts of birds uh, on the ground. It's, it, it's, an absolute, it's an absolute paradise for, for bird life. And the, the, other, the other thing is uh, brown hair, which we're, we're very keen on. Combination of that and the kind of plantations, you know, the wee bit of agro, agri, uh, agroforestry that we're doing. You know, we've planted, you know, a lot of trees. Uh, and that's all providing shelter, but it's also, it's also helping with the biodiversity on the ground. So, I mean, that's one of our, we're very keen on the whole biodiversity issue and, I think the multi-species grassland is certainly help helping that, along with the cattle grazing. Uh, on that note, if we think back to the dry period in May, um, how did the multi-species swards uh, compare to the more conventional grasses on the farm? Um, I'm just sort of thinking about the, sort of the deep tap roots uh, of some grass and herb species. Well, they they perform much better. Uh, you know we. We didn't really see that big, you know. A, 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 we didn't see that 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 much stunting of the grasses during that period. So the do, the the red the red clovers did well, but the the deep rooted plants obviously obviously helped to hold the moisture in the ground. So I mean, there's there's no doubt there's no doubt about that. That during a dry period, that they will perform much better. Now, I'm talking without a lot of experience here. We've only got a few years under our belt. But what we're seeing uh, is fairly obvious that in a in a dry in a dry period, these multi-species grasslands they do they do they do much they definitely do much better. There's no there's no question about that, and I think there's evidence of that from all around the world and different from from people that have used multi-species grassland. So I don't I don't think that's in doubt. They they perform much better in in dry conditions. Yep, absolutely, and that's that's giving you more sort of an improved resilience, isn't it? Um, and hopefully, a reduced reliance on having to fall back to um, purchase feeds as well during you know during drought periods. Well, um, absolutely, it would, it would appear for me from a converse. Oh, sorry. Yeah, it's absolutely right. We're talking to a friend of mine in Germany who's highland cattle over there, and and he he is very concerned about climate change. For the last two or three years, he's had to buy and feed from uh, from the north. And, and he put he puts that down to climate change. Now, maybe he'd be a candidate for a multi-species grass that continues to go better. Yep. Um, it would appear to me from a conversation that of multi-species swards that they're they're really a way of achieving both you know, conservation value. You know, you're improving your biodiversity. Um, whilst redu- you know, there's options to reduce chemical inputs, reduce fertilizer, reduce herbicides. 
um, whilst also building organic carbon. So all these multitude of benefits, um, but really without having to necessarily sacrifice productivity, um, you know, you can achieve still high levels of you know, forest production uh, and good livestock performance. Um, what does the future look like for you at Killercreasy and uh, in terms of grassland management and the use of multi-species swords? Well, you know, I, I totally agree with what you've just said. That is our observation. And I think we are seeing higher densities with a combination of multi-species grassland and the paddock grazing. So we're, get, we're getting, you know, we're getting more, more stock per hectare by paddock grazing, a combination of paddock grazing and the multi-species grassland. So we're sold on it. I mean, we, would, we, we will continue to stitch in multi-species uh, as much as the farm as possible. But the, the, the only problem I've seen here with it, if sometimes if we're too aggressive with our grazing, uh, I think we can, take, we, we can take some of it out. And if we go round, down too, too low, then the water gets into the bulbs and some of the, the plants and, and kills them off. So we, we need to be careful we're not grazing as short as we have traditionally grazed. I mean, I would like to be able to let the grasses grow much longer and trample. You'll go onto the grass and trample some of it in to increase to increase the, the, the topsoil. Uh, but, you know, it's what, it's what we're capable of doing with the space we've got and the amount of stock we've got is, is the limiting factor to, to, to perfection, I guess. <laughs> and, um, Ian, we've talked quite a bit about um, grazed grass and, and import, uh, improving performance um, on, on grazed grass with, with multi-species. Uh, have you ever cut any of this grassland for uh, for silage or is that, that a bit premature? Um, and if you haven't yet, what is your expectation um, of it as a, as a winter feed? The, the advice we're getting is where we have chicory in the mix is is not to cut it for silage. So we've so far we've kind of said that these fields where there's chicory present is for uh, is for grazing and not for cutting. So we we tend to have different different fields now. Ian has actually taken silage from his paddocks uh, through at Balgay where. Uh, he's had excess grass, and that seems to be okay. And I've spoken to a number of people who have made silage or uh, or conserved grass from the, the multi-species. To be fair, we haven't done it. We certainly do it with our red clover. I mean, that is our silage. But up until now, we haven't been cutting these fields. These fields were put down specifically to graze. But the jury's out on that one. I think we need to learn a bit more. And uh, I think excess grasses we will we will make silage from. And um, Ian, finally, I know that you've mentioned in the podcast that uh, this is very new for, for you guys at, uh, at Killercrees and, and Bulgay. Um, but what advice would you give to, to listeners who might be interested in, in going down the route of multi-species grassland? Um, you, you've talked a little bit about what's worked and, and, and maybe a bit about what hasn't. But if you were to give your top tips, what, what would they be? I don't think I'm qualified to advise the other farmers. They say 
a farming expert. It's only somebody that's far enough away from his own farm. So I think we are in the learning curve, but uh, I guess it's what you're going to use them for. Certainly, if you're going to graze it, I think I would try stitching. Obviously, we'd like to cut down the use of glyphosate. Uh, we've we've used glyphosate and then ploughed. We've used uh, rotavators. Uh, all, all, all these systems have worked to some extent and some are better than others. But my preference just now would be, and maybe to minimise future risk, would be to try different plants by stitching them back in. I mean, one of the things I'd like to try uh, and I don't know how well it worked this far north, is to stitch into our uh, silage fields. I'd quite like to stitch in some lucerne and see and see how well that works, uh, because that would give us another uh, high-performance plant if it, if it will grow this far north and if it will compete with the other grasses. But we'll try it. It won't be a big expense to stitch in lucerne, but that's the type of thing I think we'll, we'll try doing. So, Ian, um, a couple of our colleagues um, that that, uh, that Daniel and I work with um, are currently developing a, an online tool um, to to uh, make recommendations for use of multi-species grass uh, mixes. What uh, what would you consider an important aspect that we should look at in the development of this tool? What, what factors should we uh, should we accommodate for um, when um, looking at which species are, are viable and which mixes? Well, I, I think the soil type would be one of the things that would be important. That what will grow where, and how well how well will it grow? Obviously, you know how, how does different plants respond to uh, pH? You know, different soil types. Because we've got, you know, we got so many different soil types from Balgi at one extreme to the to the PT Hill here, uh, and I guess I suppose rainfall would be another factor. I mean, the, what I said earlier about Lucerne, you know, do, do we know whether that would work up here, and what kind of soils do we have to have to to make it work? So yeah, I mean that. You know that type of thing in the tool would be would be useful. That's good. So, Ian, um, on behalf of the Farm Advisory Service, um, I'd just like to thank you again for for coming on. Um, it's been a really interesting discussion. Um, hopefully, the listeners can have have all got something to take away from from uh, from the chat that we've had. Um, and uh, I look forward to to seeing how uh, how the the multi species swords develop, whether that's um, at, at Killacrees, um, Drum Cross, Balgay. Um, I think that you have a really exciting project going. Thank you. Thank you, Ian. Really enjoyed it. Exciting times. Thank you, Daniel. That's enjoyed it as well. Thank you very much for your time, gentlemen.